Well, good morning, church. How are you this morning? Good, good. Hey, in case we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Will Pinnell, and I have the honor of serving here on staff as senior minister, and we're glad to have you worship with us this morning. Uh, if this is your first time, I'd just like to ask you to text the word welcome to this phone number, um, and it's just a great way for us to connect with you, answer any questions you may have, uh, and just say thank you for joining us this morning for worship. Church Online family, same to you. If this is your first time, let us know. We're glad that you're worshiping with us. And if this is not your first time, welcome back. We're glad that you're here and choosing to worship with us again, whether you're in person or online. We are glad to have you worshiping with us this morning. How many of you had a fantastic Thanksgiving? I'm glad to see those hands up. That is awesome. How many of you had family over or went to see other family? Most everyone. Okay. All right. How many of you were just a little glad when they left or you left? Yeah. Okay. A few people are honest. A few people are honest. Okay. I mean, let's, let's be honest about it for a minute because we, my wife, our family, we traveled to my parents' house for, for Thanksgiving this year and we do every year and I'm always excited to go. And then the last day, there's always just this piece of me that's like, I'm just ready to sleep in my own bed again. <laughs> and the longer that I've been away from my parents' house, the more this feels like home. The longer Hannah and I have been married and the longer I've been having my own family, the more my family feels like my family and there's just a little bit of, of change that's happened with my family I grew up with. And that happens with time, right? Family dynamics change. There's always that cousin or that aunt or uncle who brings up that topic that no one wants to talk about. There's this thing that happened years ago that that, that family member just won't let go and be in the past. Maybe this is the first Thanksgiving that you had after losing a loved one. Maybe this will be the first Christmas that you have after losing a loved one. Maybe this is the fifth or sixth Christmas and Thanksgiving after losing a loved one and, and everyone you feel the pressure that, that you think people are expecting you to, to move past it and let go and, and be okay now. And there's just that moment at Thanksgiving or at Christmas where someone says something, there's a look and you remember your loved one and you just need to excuse yourself for a minute because it still, still stings not having them there. There's all kinds of emotions that come with the holidays and maybe your family at home or going home to the place where you grew up. And a lot are good, a lot are maybe not so good. And this morning we're starting a brand new series called Home for the Holidays. Because I think we come to this, this holiday season, we come to Thanksgiving, we come to Christmas, and we look at the birth story of Jesus, and we see how magical it is, and how full of joy and full of hope this time of year is, and it, and it is. It's an amazing season to celebrate the birth of Jesus into this world. But if you look just a little bit closer, you see the birth story of Jesus has just as much stuff happening as some of our families do. And it's maybe not sunshine and rainbows that we've been led to believe all these years. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the birth story of Jesus. We're going to look at the process, the story that we all know so well. And we're going to see how maybe, maybe there's some things that we can learn from Jesus' birth story that help us go home for the holidays. Maybe there's something that we can learn from the birth story of Jesus that helps us 
engage with family a little bit better this year than in years past, that maybe this year can be a little bit sweeter than in the past because of what we see that God's word says. This morning, we're going to start a little further back than the birth story of Jesus, though, because what we understand about Scripture is that from the moment God created this world, he created Adam and Eve, and from the moment he created Adam and Eve, they sinned. They might have had a few short days, few short weeks, depending on how you read the text, where where things were perfect, things were great, things were fantastic, and then sin entered the world. and, And from that moment, That sin entered the world with Adam and Eve. God has been moving pieces and he's had a plan to restore humanity back to him. To to make us whole again, to make us perfect again, to to make a a path available to us where we can again enjoy the one-on-one communion with God and be in his presence once again. Nation of Israel was supposed to be God's holy nation, his chosen people, and they were supposed to to worship him, to follow him. And this morning, what I want to look at is a very specific window in Israel's history where things didn't go quite as planned. In the book of Jeremiah, we read about a time where the Babylonian Empire came and they took Jerusalem. They they took Jerusalem and they took many Israelites back to, to exile in Babylon and we read of how they cried out to God and, and they wanted to go back home. They wanted to go back to the place where they grew up and they wanted to go home, not just for the holidays, but they wanted to go home for good because they missed Jerusalem. And in Jeremiah chapter 25, we read that God says, this is going to happen, but not for a long time. Jeremiah 25 verse 11, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste And these nations shall shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. I mean, 70 years, that's a lifetime. Those who really remember Jerusalem aren't going to go back. Those who maybe remember it as kids will have this distorted view of what Jerusalem used to be. You all, you have those memories, right? You have those memories of that movie or, or something that you really enjoyed years ago and then you go back, you watch the movie again, it's just not what you remembered. We idealize it, we, we think it's better than it really was because it's been so long ago and that's the way it's going to be for these Israelites who are there 70 years. There's going to be kids born into exile in Babylon who, has, who hear their parents talk about going home and they're going to scratch their heads thinking, what do, you, what do you mean going home? We are home. This, this is where we live. This is our home. And they're going to have no framework and no context for going home to Jerusalem. Think about how hard this must have been. And, and it's hard for us to put ourselves in, this shoe because, in, our, in the, the shoes of those in Jerusalem at the time because this is just such a far-fetched idea that someone would come into our home and force us into another country that would force us into another state or another place and away from our homes and if i even asked you to to put yourselves in the in, in their shoes i'm sure most of your responses would be something along the lines of let them try to come into my home right we'll defend our home well don't you think they did that too not only have they been taken into exile into babylon but jerusalem israel they, they had an army they, they defended themselves So not only have they been taken away from everything that's familiar, that's comfortable, but they've lost loved ones. They've lost loved ones, and and then God, (laughs) 
God comes and he tells them through the prophet Jeremiah probably the hardest piece of advice there is in scripture. God asked them to do the hardest, hardest thing that he's probably asked anyone ever to do considering the circumstances here. And in Jeremiah 29, 5 and 7, God says through the prophet Jeremiah to the people who are in exile in Babylon, he says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Do what, God? You you want us to do what? I don't want to plant gardens and eat their produce. I want to pray that, that there's, that, that hail comes and destroys their crop. I want to pray um, that, that you don't bless them, that you curse them. And you want, you want us to pray and seek the welfare of this place that has, has taken us away from our home? What? Think about how hard this must have been to hear from God. You're not going home for 70 years, and more than that, I want you to seek the good of this place where I've sent you into exile. And we get to this, this verse in Jeremiah chapter 29 that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. Because what we see is that God doesn't do anything willy-nilly. He doesn't just decide. He's not reactionary. He just doesn't say, oh, I think I'm going to do this thing today. He has a plan. There's a purpose. There's a lesson that he's trying to teach Israel. And I think there's a lesson that he's trying to teach us today also. And Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 10, he says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Here's, here's the key, verse 12. We, we stopped before this too many times, but here it is. Verse 12, then you will call upon me and come pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, this isn't just a promise that after the 70 years is, is done, then I'm going to hear you. No, no, no. This is, this, is a, this, is a, this is a way of God saying, if you, if you weren't going to follow me and honor me back in Jerusalem, then, then maybe in exile in this other country, maybe I have your attention now. And what God is trying to teach Israel and what he's trying to teach us is that it doesn't matter about where you live. It doesn't matter where home is because there is no place on earth that is home because we are citizens of heaven and our real home is in heaven. God says, I'm going to hear you regardless of where you are. Israel for too many years had fallen away from God. They started worshiping other gods. They had drifted far away. And God said, okay, if you're not going to worship me in your country, then, then I'm going to send you away. I'm going to send you away and maybe, just maybe, you will realize and you will grasp that it's not about where you are. There's not, there's not something special about this city of Jerusalem because what I'm doing in this world, I'm about to bring my son into this world and it's going to be for all people of all nations, of all, all everywhere. And I am doing something so much bigger than just in one little city of Jerusalem, so much bigger than one nation of Israel. I am doing something so much bigger that I want, I want you, regardless of where you are. 
And I think that, that Israel has a response and God tells them to do something different. Israel's response in this moment is, God, I can't believe you sent us into exile. God, where are you? God, please help us. And God says, I'm here. All you have to do is seek me. All you have to do is cry out. All you have to do is pray. Guys, I hear you. I hear you. And I think this is the lesson that God wants us to learn also. I hear so many people today talking about how far we've come as a country, and how far we've fallen away from God and our godly biblical roots that we started with years ago. And I think that we can either have one of two perspectives. We can come over here and have a similar response that Israel had and say, I can't believe how far we've, we've drifted away from God. I can't believe that we're no longer a Christian nation. I can't believe that whatever you believe, how, how far we've, we've drifted from, from our roots of faith. Or we can come over here and say, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to seek the welfare of this place where I'm at. I'm going to work for the good in my neighborhood. I'm going to work for good in my city, in my county, in my state, in my country. I'm going to do what I can to be good and seek the welfare of this place where I'm living. Sometimes when we go home for the holidays, there's going to be some comments. There's going to be things said. There's going to be that one extended family member who can't let something go. And we can be over here and we can say, man, I just wish they'd let that go. Man, I wish they wouldn't say that thing. Man, I wish that topic wouldn't be brought up. We can, we can see the bad of the situation we are and we can complain about it. We can gripe about it. We can cry out to God, God, make them stop. Or we can come over here and we can say, God... I'm just going to try my best to do good. I'm going to ignore all the negative comments. I'm going to pray for this person. I'm going to bring them the fork that they don't have or that they dropped. I'm going to seek their good because that's what you've asked me to do. So what are we going to do, church? We can wallow in whatever we think is happening around us. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not drawing any parallels between America and Israel or America and Babylon or anything like that. But we can look around us. We can see the evil that this world just has in it. We can see the bad that, that people are doing around us. We can look at the news, point at a story and say, God, why? Or we can come over here. We can do something about it. We can be good. We can seek the welfare of this place where we're living. We can reach out to our neighbors and we can mow their grass without them asking. We can bring them a meal or a pie randomly just because. We can seek the welfare of this place where we're living or we can just be critical and point out the bad that is happening with, all around us. You see, one of these responses doesn't get us anywhere. The other response... Scripture says, for when you seek the welfare of the city, their welfare will be your welfare. And I think sometimes that's hard to see, sometimes that's hard to grasp, because sometimes it doesn't seem like it's quid pro quo. Like it's, whatever we do over here doesn't come back to us, and that's not the point of it. The point is just to do good, 
to seek the welfare of the city around us, of, of our country, of our state, of our communities around us. It's not so we get something good from it, but when we seek the good of our community, it will be for our good also. Um, last week, I kind of dropped a, a bombshell, so to speak, and I threw out this lofty goal of $15,000 for Mechanicsville Elementary School. And I just kind of left it out there and told you I would explain a little bit more about it. Um, over the last few years, we've so, uh, quote-unquote, adopted Mechanicsville Elementary School, and we've tried to serve them and, and do a little bit more for them. And we did that for a couple reasons. One, because they're right down the street. Uh, they're a, a Title I elementary school, meaning that they have a large, low-income um, student population. Um, and so there's a need right here in our community um, when we started this, our, our kind of tagline as a church was to love God, love people, and impact the world for future generations. And I didn't know of a better way to impact future generations than to serve at the elementary school that's literally half a mile away from, from the church. And when there's such a need and it fit in with our vision perfectly, I was like, this is, this is an awesome opportunity. So I went to Dr. Robinson, the, the principal at the school, and I said, look, I don't want to promise anything big. I don't know what this will look like years down the road, but I just want to ask what some of their needs are and how we can help, and we might be able to do something. And over the last five or six years or so, we have just slowly been serving and doing some different things around the school to support them and let them know that we're here, we care for them, and we, we love them. And we've seen some different things come of that over the years, but the purpose wasn't to... The purpose wasn't to see this, this grand, grand thing happen. It was just to follow the commands of God to love, love people and to serve in our community, to seek the welfare of our community. And I think that there's a great way of when we, when we seek the welfare of this school that's in our community, then the, the school gets better and the teachers get better and the students get better and we can see this direct connection between seeking the good in our community and it being for our good also. And we see that a little closer when it comes to this elementary school down the road. But I, I went to, to Dr. Robinson at the beginning part of this year, and I said, 2021, hopefully COVID's a little bit over. Things are a little bit different. What can we do this year? Again, not promising anything, but what can we do? And she said that they're starting to let some volunteers in. I remembered a couple years ago that we asked if anyone wanted to volunteer at the elementary school, that, that there were opportunities to do so, and there wasn't a, a great response to that. It's in the middle of the day, a lot of people are working, I, I get it. It's dealing with little people that, they're, they're scary, I get it. <laughs> but they have a big need for some volunteers. From what I understand, last year was just crazy, all kinds of COVID stuff happening. And the local administration, state, all the, the different levels uh, lessened some of the expectations on schools last year. This year, from what I understand from every teacher I've talked to, this year has been worse than last year. Because COVID is still here and the expectations are back. And so it almost seems like twice as much work, twice as, much, twice as hard as it was even last year on top of... You know, we all know that being a teacher is not the easiest job around. They have to deal with our kids, right? We know how difficult our kids are. Um, but Brandy has, has served, this is her first year serving as the assistant principal at Washington Henry um, Elementary School, the other side of us down here. 
And um, she's just going to share with us about how difficult it's been from her perspective, um, how difficult it's been on the administration and the teachers, um, and what she's seen. So when Will asked me to do this and asked me to share what, what being in education was like during a pandemic, the first thought that came to my mind was that education is always hard. Um, teachers always work hard and put forth 100% effort. But he's right, um, this year is harder than last year. And we've talked a lot about it as educators and trying to nail down and actually put our fingers on what it is about this year that makes it so much more difficult. And I think that um, we'll really hit the nail on the head. It's not that, it's not that COVID is gone because it's definitely not. It's still very prevalent in all of our schools. We still have all of the same restrictions for the most part. But it is that our kids are coming in, some of them not having received adequate instruction for the last 18 months. So we're teaching them at fourth grade, seventh grade, 10th grade, what they are expected to know this year. But that's impossible. They can't be there. Some of them haven't socialized with other children in 18 months before they walked into our buildings. And so not only are our teachers and I asked some of my teacher friends, too, like, what do you feel like is the hardest thing? And it's not only that they are expected to be at top notch as they always are expected of level of instruction, because that is who they are. That is who we've entrusted our children with. But they're also now counselors. They're also social workers. They're also medical professionals on having to decide what is safe and not safe. The role of a teacher is so far out of teaching, reading, writing, and arithmetic than it has ever been. And I think that's what plays into, this is my first year as an administrator, so I don't know anything other than COVID. I um, had part-time administration last year, but I've never been a full-on administrator other than in a COVID world. Um, and I think my hardest part, I equate it to almost being like a parent. When you see your children suffering or going through something that is hard, you wanna take away. There's some things that are like, you know, the good natural suffering. I'm okay with those things. But sometimes the goal is to ease whatever struggle your child is going through because you love them and you want the best for them and you want to create this most opportunist moment for them to reach every bit of potential. And I can't fix COVID as an administrator. I can't make all of these things go away. They're way, this, it is way higher than my pay grade. And I'm talking like national level. And so I see my teachers wanting and needing things that I can't give. You know, when I've asked them this year, what is something that you would like more than anything? And they always ask me or say the gift of time. And all of my teachers are so hardworking. Our administration is top notch and I'm not even speaking of myself because I'm brand new. So I'm learning, it's a learning year for Brandy. But everyone is working so hard and they're exhausted because they're doing so much. They're taking their work home, even knowing that they're not supposed to, because we gotta have work-life balance, but there's so much to get done. When you're having to teach children that are now on all sorts of different levels, that requires more prep work, takes more time. And time is not always something I can give them back. And that's hard for me as an administrator to know that's something that I know that they would benefit. They don't necessarily want the donuts in the morning, though that is sometimes nice, or the candy or the catered lunches or what have you, even though those are great gestures. They just want a little bit of time. 
So I've tried when I can in the middle of thousands of meetings. I try to go in and surprise a teacher, maybe one a day, and take over their recess so that they can go back in and have the time to do whatever they want to, even if they literally just sit and breathe without their mask on because they're inside of their room by themselves without their children. The gift of time is something that is so valuable to educators. And we have tons of them out here in our congregation, and I think that they would all agree that time is the most valuable asset that a teacher has. And there's not enough of it. And that's really hard. I think that's what's made COVID the most hard. It's been great having all of our kids back in the building this year. It's been so nice to see part of all of their faces. I like covering recess because I get to see all of their faces because they get to take their masks off. Trunk or treat here, I had several students come up to me. I had no idea who they were because I've never seen them without their masks on. And they knew exactly who I was and I loved that. But that doesn't happen enough. We don't have time to gather and do all of these other things anymore because we've got so many other needs that must be met. And so when Will told me about his idea for what he was planning um, to bless Mechanicsville, it almost made me tear up because that is something that no one else is doing. Our church is special. And the difference that it's going to make in the lives of those teachers and administrators in Mechanicsville Elementary School is going to be something that there is no measurement for. So I thank you before even... We even get there because y'all just need to know the difference that it's going to make. Thank so you. I appreciate you. Appreciate it. So here's what we're going to do. Thank you. So here's what that $15,000 is going to go towards. It's going to go to having a, a full-time or someone there eight hours a day, five days a week to just simply be an extra set of hands. Uh, we, we thought about having uh, one person there full-time and just saying, Here, here's the money and gift this to the school and, and let them take this on. And the school board actually called me back and they said, we can't do that, um, but if you guys want to do that through your church, that would be amazing. And so we, had the, we have the blessing of the school board and the, uh, the principal at the elementary, McKinsey Elementary School was thrilled when I pitched this idea to her. And I said, it might not happen, we'll have to see. Um, there's a few other hoops to jump through, but... Um, but what we would love to do is have someone there eight hours a day, five days a week, to do things like cover recess, to do things like make copies and uh, cut copies and do room transformations and just allow teachers to have a little extra time so that they can spend more time with students, they could plan their lessons better, they can, they can do more with their time in the classroom. And I know for a lot of us, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense and, and we're, we're not to connect it to the classroom, but every teacher I've mentioned this idea to before I even get to the end to ask them what they think about it, their eyes are wide and they're so full of excitement wanting to, for us to do that at their school. I think this is going to be a need and a welcomed um, gift of grace. And so that's just what we're going to call this campaign at the end of the year to try to raise $15,000. We're just going to call it Giving Grace. Um, tomorrow, we're going to make sure that on the, on the website, when you give online, there's a, a, another category for giving grace. And if you would like to give online towards that goal, that would be amazing. Um, we still have uh, lights to turn on here, so we'd ask that you keep giving here and give in addition to what you're already giving. And I know that's a lot for, for some of you, um, but if we all chip in and do a little bit, I think we can get there. Um, any extra funds that we get beyond the $15,000, we're going to donate to Mechanicsville Church Emergency Function, MSEFT. Uh, MSEFT works here in the Mechanicsville area, and again, we wanted to figure out something that we could do to seek the welfare, seek the good of this community. 
Because this is where God has placed us. This is where God has asked us to serve. This is where God has says, I need a church in this specific area to reach the people of this community. And so we're going to do our best as a church to do that. And this is one of the, the beautiful things of being a part of a local church, that, that this isn't a command that's just for the church to do. You are to seek the welfare of your community, your neighborhood, where, where you live, your your place, this is for you to do. But when we get us all together, there are some ways that we can seek the good of our community that we just can't do on our own. And this is going to be one of those things that I'm really excited about it. Church, we can sit back and we can say, the world around us is crumbling. We can be critical. We can we can see the bad around us. We can see the bad in our neighbors, in our family. We can see and be critical of other people around us. Or, or we can grasp onto the words of God through the prophet Jeremiah and we can seek the welfare of those around us. Because we recognize that our home is not here. That our home is with God and we don't have to even wait for heaven to see our home. That we find God when we seek him with all our heart. And so I'm asking you in this holiday season, as we go home for the holidays, as you stay at home, as you have family around, to seek God and bring heaven to your home and seek the welfare of your, your community and our community. Father God, I thank you so much for the ways that you have loved us, that you have given to us, that you have have blessed us in good and bad and in the way that you have led us into a deeper relationship with you. And God, sometimes, like Israel, we don't realize the good that comes from difficult situations. But God, I pray that we trust that you are still moving pieces. That just because things may not be good right now doesn't mean that you're finished, that you're still working, you're still moving, you are still putting things together because you are God. And you are good. And you have an amazing, amazing plan in the works. Lord, we love you. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.